welcome back to another episode of the Watch Your Boy with me, Jean-Luc Well, Make some noise, clap it up, get excited wherever you want. We are back with another jam-packed episode for you today, talking about the world of sports. And we're going to talk about James Harden and his demanding out of Philadelphia. I told you we're going to talk about that on the last episode. We're going to cover that right here. Calling Del Moore a liar, causing up people around the entire NBA landscape in the city of brotherly love in Philadelphia is right now in upheaval and hate over the entire situation. What exactly is going to pan out with the 76ers and James Harden? Will it get shipped out? Will he stay? And what effect will all this have on the biggest star, the MVP of the league, Joel Embiid, the pride and joy of the Philadelphia 76ers. Will this last, will this be, excuse me, the last straw for James Harden, not James Harden, the last straw <laughs> for Joel Embiid to finally request a trade out of Philly himself. On top of that, we also have to talk about the unified heavyweight champion of the world, Alexander Usyk, making his return to the ring against Daniel Dubois to defend his titles. How's that fight going to go? Who's going to win? Also, will this inevitably lead to the big mega fight for the undisputed title later on this year or early next year, as well as much more on this show? So, without further ado, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so we can make this channel bigger and better. This empire that we're calling it all to rise up in the ranks, rise up in the world and get this community on on notice. Get Let, let everybody know that you are part of the World Troop War. Absolutely. Make this empire grow and take over all of YouTube and also all platforms because also this podcast is on every single podcasting platform available. Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. You name it, we're on it and if not, tell me I'll get this. So, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. It's time to talk about James Harden and what in the world. My gosh, you want to talk about an absolute bombshell on what was a relatively dry offseason, at least for the past couple of weeks. Of course, we know we're waiting on Damian Lillard for the whole thing with him and the Miami Heat. Will he, won't he go? Will he, won't he get traded? Will he have to stay in Portland? Or was he going to actually get to be in the Miami culture with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Eric Spolstra? Of course, that whole saga is currently on hold. But in the midst of that, now, boom, we got James Harden requesting his trade out of the 76. Reason being, well, actually, let's set the background real quick. He went over to an event over in China sponsoring the brand, or I believe his brand, and because he's major over there in China, one of the more popular NBA players over there in that part of the world, and because of that, he went over there for a shoe event, and in the middle of an event, he was asked, I forget what the question was specifically, but essentially, it led into him him saying, and I quote, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I would never be part of an organization that he is a part of, let me say that again, this is him again verbatim, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he is a part of. You want to talk about an absolute bombshell of a utterance. This was insane. This shook up the entire league. Nobody, at least to my recollection, had ever called out, especially somebody as big of a star as James Harden. Nobody had called out an uh, owner, a GM, or anybody at that high of a public position on a team. 
to this severity and this blatantly, to my recollection, in my years of watching basketball, yeah, yeah I'm 24 years old, hey, going to be 25 on the September 29th, so hey, 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 come on, y'all, great birthday gift would be potentially up to 500 subscribers by the time my birthday comes and or money. Oh, yeah, send me some money, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. My hashtag is dollar sign Jean-Luc Welch on Cash App if you want to send me some dollar bills my way <laughs> to celebrate. Oh, boy. To celebrate my birthday coming up. But, uh, but jokes aside and pre-celebratory events, um, um, we as we disassociate from that for the time being. <laughs> oh Lord. With this being one of the biggest and most blatant acts of essentially putting a ownership in a rock in a hard place, this is something I've never seen before. Many people have never seen before. This just 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 boldly from James Harden. Now, because of this, we were all questioning what the world could he be lying about. Some people expected, hey, maybe it was a max contract that people were saying he was going to go, or at least reports were saying he would get, but then did not get based on his play last year when he was promised by Daryl Moore. Or maybe it was because, which we now know as true, and I'm paraphrasing this next quote, James Harden essentially told other or investigators, excuse me, that the whole statement was referring to him being traded from Philadelphia immediately or as soon as possible, making it happen. Instead of Daryl Morey shutting down trade requests after, after I believe, a, was it a couple weeks ago? James Harden's uh, being on the trade block was shut down and done in terms of from the front office of the 76ers. So because of that, now we, now we see that James Harden feels, oh man, yo, you told me you were going to get me out of here. You told me you were going to get me gone. You told me that I was going to be out and about going to the destination I wanted to go, which was the L.A. Clippers to go play with James Harden, not James Harden, to go play with <laughs> Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on and make that essentially a big three, even though James Harden's talent has on, been on the decline over the past couple of years. He's still a great player. He's still a star. He's just nowhere near as big of a star as he was when he was averaging 36 points a game in his MVP years in Houston. So with that being the case, now we're seeing, seeing a situation where the Sixers and the organization shut down trade requests, and now James Harden is looking to put them in a position to where now you have to get me out of here because I'm going to cause absolute upheaval. See, James Harden is the type of man who will, once he wants, once he wants what he wants, he will do whatever he needs to do to make that happen. And he is not afraid to go to whatever measures necessary to make that inevitable outcome happen for him. We've seen this in Houston, and we now we're seeing it in Philadelphia. We also saw it in Brooklyn to a lesser degree. But even still, he wanted gone, didn't care, and was done with whatever the situation was on the organization. What does he do? He goes full sin on the organization. He does everything. He flips that figuratively, flipping tables and causing a major ruckus 
to make sure that he gets what he needs done done for his side of the bargain. And this is the same situation that's going on with the Philadelphia 76ers. He is doing everything in his power to make it so that Daryl Morey is going to have to capitulate to the promise of getting him out of Philadelphia that he told him he was going to do. Again, that's the whole reason why James Harden signed them this one-year opt-in contract. Again, he wasn't going to get the max from Daryl Morey, so he signed a one-year deal in order to get uh, Daryl Morey to be able to trade him to his preferred destination, which was the L.A. Clippers. But since he wasn't, and since he won't do it anymore, and now that Daryl Morey is shutting down trade talks for the entire league for James Harden and is opting to keep in James Harden, James Harden's going to make it so that he can't get anything for him. Since you felt you weren't going to get anything for me in the immediate, okay, fine. I'm going to make it so that whatever value you even thought you were going to have on top of me, you won't even be able to get that because I'll make it known that I don't want to be here. So either, and this is the whole dichotomy of this situation and what James Harden is meticulously trying to do, he is trying to put Daryl Morey between a rock and a hard place. Either force me out of here or lose me for nothing. Either you trade whatever you need, whatever you can get, not whatever you need, whatever you can get, trade me for that to where I want to go or lose me for absolutely nothing because I'm a free agent after this year. After this one-year contract, I am done. I'm gone. I am out of here. I can go to wherever the world I want to go. And you will be alone with Joel Embiid with no secondary star, with your big one of your biggest assets being either Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey. And now you got to essentially rebuild from to get another legitimate shot at championship contendership. Without me, without a, a a set in stone number two. Yes, we know Tyrese Maxey is incredibly valued. Yes, you know we're high on Tyrese Maxey. We understand that completely. The only issue is, with that being the case, despite the upside that Tyrese Maxey brings to the table, he is not enough for you to be able to win a championship if he is your number two guy. And you've already held back Tobias Harris on what he can actually do on the team. So right now, you are looking at a situation where you got, Joel Embiid, and that's about it. Or Joel Embiid and a solid supporting cast, but that's not enough to get you the championship aspirations that you're looking for. James Harden was supposed to be that piece. Again, he's one of the better facilitators in the league, led the league in assists last year with 10.5, I believe, and averaged 21 points a game. Now, that's a far, far and away uh, drop-off from what he used to be doing in Houston. Again, averaging 36-35 going on a bunch of 50-point, 60-point scoring outbursts. Essentially, wasn't it one-point average 30 for like, what, a month straight? It was insane. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Every other day, it was a 40-point game, seemingly. But he's well beyond that prime of his career. But with that, even with that being the case, still... James Harden was valuable enough to, okay, he could potentially be a guy that could help keep this ball rolling and keep us on the right track of where we want to go as an organization in terms of consistently competing. Now, James Harden saying, no, I'm done. I'm gone. We're out of here. I am done with this team. Get me to go where I want to go. That's what James Harden is putting Daryl Morey into in terms of forcing Daryl Morey's hand to either act or lose me for nothing. Since you walk away with with an empty bag or at least get some snacks 
as, you know, when you're leaving the store. Because that's all you're going to get because you're not going to be able to get a dinner. You're not going to be able to get a full grocery cart. No, you're not going to be able to do it. Especially now that, again, like we said previously, James Harden has made it known to the entire league. This is an asset or essentially, again, paraphrasing a thought process. I am an asset that now does not want to be here. I am an asset that is on his last legs of his contract. And I am an asset that can still produce, but doesn't want to produce for this team. I'm unhappy. I don't want to play. I don't want to play, excuse me. And, I'm, and I believe he's starting to sit out, potentially. Or at least if he hasn't threatened it. It's a legitimate option that he could sit out, especially based on that quote. that He said, he said I'll never play for an organization that Daryl Morey's on. Hence being, if let's say this trade does not happen, James Harden is just going to stay put. He's going to sit on the bench. He's going to, again, get out of shape. He is going to not work out, and he's not even going to touch the floor. Don't bother trying to get me to sub him on, on, off the bench. Don't bother trying to get me to come to practice. Don't try, bother trying to get me to do any of that. I'm not playing, period, in any way, shape, or form. That is what James Harden's trying to get across the table and get in terms of the severity of his commitment across to Daryl Moore and across to the rest of the league. To force Daryl Moore to say, all this high-value stuff I've been trying to get for James Harden to make it so that now, and again, this could be in the mind of James Harden, J- Daryl Moore trying to get so much from me and my value isn't where isn't worth what he is asking for, even though I know I can play. With that being the case, now since you want to go that route, and now that you want to shut down trade talks, okay, I'll make it so that now the only thing that you can actively get from me is maybe a bag of chips. Because I'm a player that doesn't want to be here and on the last year of my contract. Forcing you to get me out of here by any means necessary, or I walk for nothing. We know, the rest of the league knows, that Daryl Moore doesn't want to lose here for nothing. We know that's the case. Absolutely not. And so it's it's a it's an unprecedented situation where now we're looking at essentially a face-off in a game of chicken. How committed to the cause is both Daryl Morey and James Harden? How much are they willing to sacrifice in order to make their point or get what they want? Daryl Morey, is he willing to, to, to look James Harden in the eye and say, okay, you don't think you're going to play? Okay, fine. We'll see how long that lasts. Is he willing to sit and, and deal with that and bank on inevitably, okay, James Harden would play? And is James Harden willing to potentially lose out on millions and millions of dollars by not playing? Mind you, he already got fined $100,000 for making this statement because Lee, uh, from what I can understand, this this violated some sort of uh, agreement amongst the NBA players and players organization in the league. From what I can understand, I'm, I might be wrong, but either way, it violated something. Making that statement essentially is to say, keep that stuff in private. Don't be making bold statements like that publicly. That's the whole conversation, whether it's right or wrong, in another sense. But that we'll talk about that another day. For the right now, got fined a hundred a hundred thousand dollars for the statement. Okay, that's a drop in the bucket for him. However, every game that he that he willingly does not play, as in willingly withhold services from his team. And from the organization that he plays for, he is going to be giving up $389,000 for every single game. Every game that he sits out, every day he doesn't commit to, he doesn't, he, every day that he willingly doesn't commit his services to the team and, and act 
and play with the team, losing about $400,000, uh, excuse me, $389,000 every game. Add that up to the end of the season. Good gosh, I don't even want to know how big that number is. Coupled with the fact that if he does indeed do this, was it for more than 30 days? He can no longer be a free agent for when his contract is up. A team can act can actually withhold him being a free agent and say, no, you're not a free agent because you haven't kept up your end of the bargain and you've been, again, willingly away from team activities and willingly withholding your services from the team for longer than 30 days. So because of that, you violated a portion of this agreement and you, in violation, are no longer a free agent. And we opt to keep you here because you won't play for us. Willingly are not doing what you are signed to do. That is a, that, that's the game of chicken that we're banking on. That's the game of chicken that both of them are playing. But again, James Harden, he might be willing to go that route entirely. Just to show, I don't want to be here. Just to make his point clear. And it could be that now, even if that's the case, let's say he does get fined. Let's say he does still not get his free agent status ripped away because he's withholding his service to the team for longer than 30 days. If that is the case, and James Harden is still fine with it, well, now this is just a big-name star that's holding up a legitimate roster spot that Daryl Moore could actually use to fill a secondary star in his place, or at least a secondary role player, at least some secondary pieces, to fill out that, to continue utilizing Joel Embiid's best years to get in line for a championship. That's what the situation is. Is Daryl Moy willing to, okay, we're going to keep holding you since you don't want to play and force you to do what I want you to do? Knowing that even with that process, you will still be lacking any ability to build where you want to build to? Because he's still on the roster. And unless you want to trade for Joel Embiid, unless you want, excuse me, unless you want to trade Joel Embiid for another star, you're stuck in terms of just having him as the only big name on your squad. And by big name, I mean top 15 talent. Because Joel Embiid is one of the best players in the world, but he doesn't have, as of right now, if things stay the same, and James Harden indeed does not play. And Daryl Moore does opt to keep him. He doesn't have a number two at all. I love Tyrese Maxey, but he's not going to be it. I love Tobias Harris, but I don't know how much how much offensively they're going to give him the freedom to actually be the Tobias Harris that we've seen in the past. On top of the fact that Tobias Harris has gotten older. And will he be able to act actively be as big of a piece as necessary if he is called upon it? In order to live up to the hype, not hype, excuse me, in order to live up to the expectations necessary for him to be in that number two position in order for them to actively get a shot at the title. And the answer to that is probably no. So it's a game of chicken between Daryl Moore and James Harden. Who will come out on top? We're just going to have to wait and see because it's going to be an insanely, insanely entertaining aspect to see. Insanely entertaining fight between these two. And the bigger question amongst all of this 
is the fact that what exactly does this mean for Joel Embiid? Because now Joel Embiid has been in a situation where three times in his career, he's had the number two guy, the basis of his, of his, again, essentially, team, ripped away from him for some reason or another. The main stay, his running mate, for some reason or another, has, has gotten dis, uh, 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 discontent, done with the franchise, or traded away. It was, it, ben Simmons, gone, played bad, then unhappy, then wanted out of Philly. J- Jimmy Butler played great. Nearly got them to a title was looking like one of the better pieces that would complement Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid loved him there, traded away. And then now you got James Harden, who they pick up, looking to be able to have him for a long term. A great facilitator. And yes, he's not the player that he used to be, but still was good, is good. And now he's gone to three of the number two guys that Joel Embiid was supposed to work with in order to take this team far into the playoffs and potentially to a championship, now gone just like that, back to back to back, and you're stuck again as the only main guy? And you as Joel Embiid has fought through everything? You fought through injury, got better. You fought through playing against kind of, eh, can he stay healthy and play well? You fought through that. You fought through becoming one of the top 20 players in the world, then top 10, then MVP, consistently reaching and reaching and then living up to the expectations that people were putting on you when you were getting called out on, oh, is Joel Embiid really that guy? Oh, is Joel Embiid really that good? Oh, how is Joel Embiid really worth being a number one option? How far can Joel Embiid go? Can he actively get to the talent that we keep saying he can be? He shoots too much. He plays too much on the outside. He shoots too many jumpers. Why doesn't he use his size? He got around all of that, and now was an MVP. Has held up his end of the bargain when it comes to these, the expectations placed on him by both the organization himself and the rest of the fan base both in and outside of Philly lived up to that and now he is stuck again seemingly holding the bag while everybody else says oh nah I'm done left with all the work after he held up with his end of the deal in terms of what was expected of him be the dominant number one be the guy that we all lean on become the main man in Philly he did all of that. He did all of that, and now he is, again, back into a situation where he's looking lost because everything is shifting and changing in terms of who is going to be my dominant second guy, the second option, the second star that I can rock with to get both of us to our ultimate goal of a championship. He doesn't want to go through this again. Shoot, we already got Tyrese Maxey having quotes saying we've already been through this rodeo before. We already we we've been through this before. Big major big changes in the organization. Ebbs and flows instead of who will or who won't stay. 
changing of the guard, unhappy players, unhappy working by all that stuff. They've dealt through all of it. The hesitancy, the confusion, they've dealt with all of this before. All of it. And James Harden doesn't want, James Harden right now is the catalyst of it. And Joel Embiid is yet again the receiver of all of the domino effect that's going to befall this organization because of it. Because right now, Philly's stuck in a situation where they can't move forward, they can't move backwards, they're just stuck until somebody commits to a move between Daryl Morey and James Harden. And Joel Embiid does not want to deal with this again. I can guarantee you that. May have already alluded to it in on social media or to the public. I'm not sure. But even whatever the case may be, Joel Embiid is not one to be just willy-nilly with his time. He understands where he is right now as a player. He understands the height that he just reached as a player. Coming MVP, solidifying himself as the second best center in the league and one of the top five to top ten players in the entire league. With MVP, I guess you got to put him at top five. And because that's the case, Joel Embiid is not going to sit while an organization goes through turmoil and turnover for a second time. Third time, if you want to count Jimmy Butler as major turnover, which I think it was. For a third time, I'm not going through it again. I'm not going through this again. So don't be surprised if you see Joel Embiid in the near future request a trade or start giving hints of if you don't get something done with me when, when if you don't get this handled like it needs to be handled, I'm done. Because I went through the process, stuck through the process, I was, in fact, the process. And now we're going through a process a second time. Again, after I held up my end of the bargain, it's not happening. It's not happening if I'm Joel Embiid. And I'm going to take my talents somewhere else and force my way out of here. I'll do it. I'll do it. That's the parameters of what James Harden's demands are causing for this team. This is bigger than just James Harden getting out of there. If James Harden doesn't, in fact, leave, Joel Embiid is most likely gone. Most likely he's gone. Especially with the reality of the situation being, even if they get James Harden out of there, they probably won't get the value necessary to give Joel Embiid the solid number two to, as a running mate. That's not going to happen. And so because of that, whether James Harden stays or goes, Joel Embiid could still be out of here. It was the fact that James Harden was there and was playing and was, again, actively being a part of the organization and was looking, I believe, was looking to get signed to a long-term deal that, okay, Joel Embiid has some stability in terms of a running mate. That was what the optics were. That's what the future looked like it was going to be. But now that the future, or excuse me, the reality of the situation is what it is, and that's not the case, he's not going through another, he's not going through another process. He's not going through another process anymore. He, he's been there, done that, did what he needed to do, 
This team sucked. This team got better. And slowly but surely, this team almost got to an NBA Finals. If it wasn't for Kawhi Leonard. If it wasn't for Kawhi Leonard, this team would have been in the Finals. And to get from that close to now, back down to square one, after you won an MVP, nah, I'm done. I'm not going to put up with this. I want out of Philly. So we can see a situation where before the season ends, both stars could be out of Philadelphia, James Harden and Joel Embiid. And now Daryl Morey's going to be stuck with the situation where, shoot, we are back in 2012 when Philly was one of the worst teams in the entire league. When the only bright spot was an Andre Iguodala highlight reel. And after, outside of that, they sucked the rest of the way. Horrible. That's what we could be seeing when it comes to Philly by the end of this year. Legitimately, that's what we could be seeing. It's insane to say, but it's entirely possible. Absolutely. Absolutely it's possible. No doubt about it, but it's possible. It's uncanny. It's unprecedented. It is a it is a move that, in, per, in all honesty, I was not expecting. But we are where we are. And because we are where we are, we have to look at what reality is actually dictating. And right now, it's looking like it's going to dictate the fact that we, as fans, both in and outside of Philly. Again, I'm not a Philadelphia but I'm not I'm not a Philadelphia 76ers fan. But fans in and outside of Philly in the entire NBA landscape has to comp- has to admit the fact that we could be seeing the complete collapse of the Philadelphia 76ers. It's a it's a legitimate possibility. A complete collapse of the organization could be on the horizon. Because you could lose both your MVP and now your secondary start. One in charge of James Harden for potentially nothing, and the other such as Joel Embiid in, in, for not nearly what he what you can actually get back for him, even with as valuable as he is. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to be in the back of the rat race again. You're going to be the worst rat in the race. That's what's going to happen. That's what it looks like is going to happen when it comes to the 76ers. And it's incredible. It's incredible and it's insane. And it's going to be a, a drama. In the words of Triple G, big drama show. That's what this is. A big drama show. That is going to be a soap opera that I can't wait to see pan out as the months go on. Oh gosh, it's going to be insane. I can't wait to see what happens as time goes forward. But with that being said, now that we have talked about James Harden and Joel Embiid and what their future may hold, let's talk about boxing and let's talk about Usyk versus Daniel Dubois because it's time to step into the ring. That's right. Ring the bell. Let's get it started. Round one underway. We got to talk about the unified heavyweight title fight between Daniel Dubois and, or yeah, Daniel Dubois and Alexander Usyk for the unified heavyweight championship in a fight that should be 
Tyson Fury versus Usyk for the title, but we all know why that fell apart because Tyson Fury was playing too many games and doing a bunch of outlandish stuff, outpricing himself for no good reason to make this fight not happen. But that's neither here nor there, at least for this conversation. Strictly talking about the fight in and of itself, this is a fight that is great for two reasons. One, it keeps Usyk in ring shape. It keeps Usyk inconsistent. It keeps Usyk from having ring rust. It keeps Usyk from not being active. It keeps Usyk and all of his skills sharp and in practice and gives him an opportunity to not get in a rut in terms of long layoffs and what they can do for boxers. Because legitimately, when you have long layoffs against when you against opponents like when you see with Charlo and Canelo when they fight on September 30th is a legitimate concern because now you don't know exactly how you're going to look because you haven't been in active in-ring competition for a long period of time and even if you're training every day working hard every day that is still a difference in terms of what it's like in the ring live versus what it's like in the ring in practice it's a completely different set of Feeling. It's a completely different sector of emotion. It's a completely different sector of feeling, vibe, fatigue, strain, and all around feel for a boxer. And so for Usyk to have a major fight and the only championship fight that's going to be happening this year, as what it as it looks like right now, which is horrible. But it's just the fact of the matter. How is he going to fare against somebody like Daniel Dubois? Well, let's be all honest. Most likely, Uzi is going to win. I am 99% sure Uzi is going to win. I have the utmost confidence that Uzi is going to easily take this fight, win this fight, and it's not going to be a bunch of strenuous work for him. Because, again, Uzi is the unified heavyweight champion in the world. In my opinion, is the best heavyweight in the world period, better than Tyson Fury, even though Tyson Fury is phenomenal in his own right. I think Usyk's skills, his slickness, his ability to use his head, his movement, footwork, and all-in-all boxing ability is the best out of the entire heavyweight division. And there's a reason why he is on the pound for pound list in many, in many people's eyes as the third best boxer pound for pound in the entirety of the world. Or at least fifth I don't know if I don't think you can put him lower than five, to be perfectly honest. But whatever the case may be, he's on that list concretely because of his size as well as his actual technical boxing ability. It's insane. It's incredible. It's mesmerizing to watch, and I love to watch it every time. So because of that, I think it's going to be an easy win for Usyk. It's probably not going to be something major that's going to happen. Now, again, We've seen upsets happen before, like with Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz, which Joshua still hasn't recovered from, like I talked about in the last episode with Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. What's going to happen if they fight and if Joshua is even ready for Deontay Wilder? But again, that's a conversation for another day that we've already had. When it comes to Usyk versus Dubois, it's relatively going to be simple. He should outbox him, he should outclass him, and he should... Or no, on points, get him out of there and just yeah, do whatever he wants. Or, hey, he could actively get a KO, or get a, a KO, TKO, whatever the, whatever the world you want it to be, 
It could be a stoppage at any point in time, probably in the eighth or ninth round after he's outboxed and completely figured out Daniel Dubois. Most likely. If he doesn't choose to just go and only box Daniel Dubois for the rest of the fight. That's what can happen. And probably won't lose a round the entire time. Most likely. But even though that's what I feel is going to be the conclusion, that's not exactly what can happen. Because let's face it, there are still situations where Daniel Dubois can get the major upset win in this fight. One of them being the fact that Usyk is 36 years old. Now, I hate using age. Absolutely. I do not like using age when it comes to dissecting what a fighter can or can't do in the ring. But we do know that it is a possibility that can take place. When it comes to Usyk being 36 years old, 37 next year, in, I believe, was it January, February, Usyk, if he if the age doesn't fat catch up to him all at once in this fight, we could see the very skill set that we've been talking about of footwork and of technical boxing ability severely diminished, potentially. Now, it's a long shot. I highly doubt this is going to happen. However, it is a absolute conclusion that it could potentially happen even with the slimmest of margins. Hey, look at Pacquiao when he fought against Ugas, when it seemed like he was consistently defying the odds, defying father time, and was potentially one fight away from fighting either if he had won against Ugas, fighting Ryan Garcia or Earl Spence Jr. That was an entire possibility. At one point in time before Ugas was going to fight, it was going to be, it was talked about as Spence versus Pacquiao. That was legitimate. That was legitimate. But, again, all at once, everything caught up with him. Legs weren't moving like it used to be. The explosiveness wasn't there. The speed, hand speed was there. But the the, the gusto that he would throw his punches to, the, the, the fervor, the same pop, the, the Pacquiao-esque nature of the movement and fighting style that Pacquiao always showed was gone when he fought against Ugas. Even though he was trying to do it, it wasn't it wasn't the same at all. It wasn't the same at all. And we could, and again, in the worst case scenario, see that same thing happen to Usyk, which I don't think is going to happen at all. Again, I'm saying all possibilities. It's an incredible long shot, but it is a shot nonetheless. Now, let's get into the actual fight, something that Dubois can't actively control, which is using his power, strength, and size to control Usyk around the ring. Usyk, one of his best attributes is being able to be a very fluid mover around the ring, using his footwork to get complicated angles, different looks, never being in the same place twice, constantly moving his head, constantly making it so that you're all, you as the opponent are always off balance. You never know where he's going to go, and you never know exactly what he's going to do. He could just jab and get out the way. He could jab on the inside and go to the hook to the body, or he could uppercut to the head, or he could start out with going to the body, dart to the left, and then go for either another body shot with the same hand and or do a flurry to the head. It's, it's, it's unpredictable exactly how Usyk's going to fare in terms of what game plan he's going to bring to the ring offensively if you're the opponent because it gives you so many different angles. However, you can mitigate that if you're Dubois by using your strength and size to control where he's going to go. Make it so that if you can cut off the ring and actively force Usyk to have to flurry his way out of there, sure you're going to take some shots. What does that mean? 
play as best defense as possible, and then attack the body from round one until the end of the fight. You constantly attack to the body because that's going to be your biggest weapon in terms of arsenal hooks to the body. We saw what happened with Anthony Joshua when he faced off against Usyk, especially in the second fight when he actually hurt Usyk to the body. It affected him. It hurt him. It's, 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 it is a legitimate target that you can go to to not only slow down, but potentially get Usyk in legitimate trouble. It's a possibility. Again, we know Usyk dominated the fight with Anthony Joshua in both occasions, even though Anthony Joshua in the second fight was a lot better than Anthony Joshua in the first fight and it was a lot more competitive. Usyk in both situations still outright won. And anybody could see that was the case. Clearly, he was better. But I'm saying the, the, there were points in the fight that you could look at and build upon if you're another opponent coming at Usyk to say, let me take that and expound upon it in order to give myself a better shot to win. And one of those shots is being able to consistently go to the body and being able to lay, again, like Teddy, has, like Teddy Atlas always says, put water in the basement in order for you to slow down the opponent so that the movement speed and the footwork isn't what it was in round one, and it gives you, as a bigger puncher, better opportunities and an easier time to actively open up like you want to open up and land the big shots that you want to land. So using his side to actively control where Usa's going to go. Hey, take a page out of Tyson Fury's playbook. Lean on him. Clinch up on Usyk. Force him to carry your weight. Force him to have to work not just on the feet moving, but on the feet carrying you as you constantly Put all 200-something pounds on him to, again, weigh around the ring, lug around the ring. It makes a difference. It actively does make the difference. And it can make a difference in this fight. And on top of that, be able to actively cut off the move. Don't just stalk and follow if you're going to do this game plan. You have to be able to cut off the ring and not let Usyk's footwork allow for him to escape off the ropes and reset in the center of the ring. You don't want that. Because the thing with Usyk, he is so great at being able to get in, get out, reset, and do the dance all over again. From any angle that you want, any exit point that you want, any form of fashion that you want, he will do it, and it will be a constant dance, a rinse and repeat. Because his footwork is just that good. But if you are able to actively cut off his exit points, make it so that he can only go one way, and because of that, you capitalize on that one exit by being able to put the right punch necessary to cut off that exit point as well. And so you only want him to exit out left so that when he does go left, you're able to land a shot to the left as he's coming into the punch. It's entirely possible. If Dubois actively has the ability to do so. If Dubois is just a stalker and just stalking Usyk around the ring, it's not going to work. But if he cuts off the ring, limits Usyk's ability to actively use the entire squared circle. Now, that body attack is going to be set up a little easier. Now, you have a better chance as a bigger puncher to, like I said, land these shots to the body. And then finally, be able to land the big right hand to the head. That is Dubois' best punch. Legitimately, that's his bread and butter. That's where he's gotten so many highlight reel knockouts from that big shot to the head. He's got legitimate power. Absolutely. We understand that's the case. And it is legitimate enough that it could give 
Usyk some actual problems if he doesn't land. Because, yes, we know far and away, we understand that Darren Dubois is nowhere close to the talent level of Alexander Usyk. Absolutely. Nowhere close. But despite that being the case, the power is still there. That's the biggest thing about the heavyweight division. Anybody can throw a punch, even a light Fisted puncher can still land a highlight reel knockout just because of the sheer mass that's being thrown around inside of the ring. But Dubois legitimately one of the better punchers in the heavyweight division. Absolutely. Talent level may not be all up there, but the power level is definitely among the elite. That is absolutely true. And because that's the case, he's got to be able to land that, that right hand because he's not going to be able to outbox him. He's got to turn this into a brawl. He's got to turn this into a brawl. He's got to use his size to lean on Usyk, like I said earlier, and he's got to turn this into a brawl. Get technical stuff out the window because you won't be able to outbox Usyk at all. You know why You know why I say that so confidently? Not just because of the, again, tears and tears and tears above in terms of talent level that Usyk is to Dubois, which is absolutely the case. But it's the fact that he, was, he wasn't able to outbox Joe Joyce with Joe Joyce only using a jab the entire fight. Joe Joyce with one hand beat Daniel Dubois. With one hand and one punch, the jab, beat Daniel Dubois into submission by messing up his eye, messing up his or- orbital bone all night long. And Joe Joyce just got beat by Big Bang Jang with one punch of Jang Zone. The big left hand. Consistently all night long. And so boxing is nowhere in the in the cards. It's got to turn into a sloppy brawl in order for Dubois to have the best chance to win. Because if not, it's going to be, again, business as usual. And even if it does turn into a brawl, we could be looking at a situation where Dubois gets knocked out because it's a brawl, because of the fact that Usyk counters him on the inside with his clean, swift uppercut. Or off-angle straight left. Or right, because he can fight from both hands. He can fight with the Dr. Southpaw. Either way, an off-angle power straight, a, slip, a slipping uppercut, or a stepping hook, all of those can end the night for Dubois. If it doesn't turn to a slugfest. So again, there are no real great ways that I can see this fight going for Daniel Dubois. But there is a best case scenario to put him in the best situation. And that's turning this from a from a boxing match into an all-out war. Make it a slugfest. That's going to be your best way to actively be able to win this fight. Because you can't outbox him. Because you couldn't outbox Joe Joyce. You can't outbox... Big Bang John, if you did face him, there's no way. No way whatsoever. The best bet is to brawl for your life. Go early and often to the body. Cut off the ring the best that you can. And set up the big right hand to the head in order to actively maybe catch Usyk and put him in trouble. It's possible. It's just not likely. It's not likely at all. But again, this is for all that this fight is. Again, I'm happy for Dubois getting this opportunity. I'm happy for Usyk being able to, to not have ring rust by consistently fighting and by staying in the ring and going up against a young, 
prospect in a, of a fighter. I love it. But at the same time, this isn't the fight that we want to see. We want to see Usyk versus Fury. We want to see Usyk versus Fury. And that leads me to, again, the next point of this fight. And again, like I said before, Usyk is going to win either by unanimous decision or by a knockout in the 10th. For me, that's my prediction. But for the next round of this whole show, in the final round of this whole show, we don't want to see this fight. We want to see Usyk versus Fury. We've been clamoring for that. And again, clamoring for an undisputed champion for 20 plus years. It's, it's, and it's insane that now we are still in a situation that we aren't getting it. And why aren't we getting it? Because you got Tyson Berry versus Francis Ngannou fighting in an exhibition belt for, for an MMA boxing crossover, like we've seen so popularly in the world of sports and in the world of boxing today. Again, we just had Jake Paul versus versus um, Nick Diaz and and and. Other fights of the like have been happening more and more and more throughout the year, and I'm not hating on it. What I am saying is I hate when it happens when it dictates what actually needs to happen in the boxing world. When it's holding off something that actively should be happening now in the boxing world, that's when I hate it. That's when I hate it. This isn't about hating Jake Paul. This isn't about hating the celebrity boxing scene. This isn't about none of that. No, they do what they do. They do what they do. They're stepping into the ring. It's entertainment. People are willing to pay. They get paid. I don't like it in terms of it's not the best for me. I've been harsh on it, but I've levied up my opinion. But even still, I know that it's not boxing, boxing. But it is. You have to respect the combatants that actively do step into the ring. But regardless of that, I understand what it what it is or what it isn't and why it happens. It's because of money. Absolutely. And I'm happy that it's because of money. Because I want these fighters to get paid because of how corrupt the world of boxing is. I want to see fighters get big bags. I want to see, from, from, and this is from all walks of, of fighting across the combat sports world. I want everybody to get a big bag of money for, their, for putting their life on the line inside of the ring. Nate Diaz fighting Jake Paul. I was the only reason why I was happy for that happening was because of the fact that Nate Diaz was going to get paid more than he ever got paid in his entire UFC career, even though he's one of the most iconic UFC fighters in history. The epitome of the embodiment of UFC, he is that guy and wasn't getting paid for. Not nearly what he deserved. That's why he walked away from the UFC. That's why I was able to get this whole thing with boxing with Jake Paul in place because his UFC contract was up. And he wasn't getting paid nearly what he actively deserved for the entirety of his career. And so many others have gone the exact same route, not getting paid what they deserve. UFC got a lawsuit against them because of the fact they're not paying what they deserve. It's probably not going to be resolved for another decade, but even still, it is an issue with the UFC and it's been an issue with boxers on both fronts about money being gypped from them for in whatever capacity and however it may happen. It always happens because of sport, combat sports can be corrupted, especially the world of boxing. But the UFC also, and MMA and other mixed martial arts sports as well. But with that being the case, getting fighters the bag is always great 
because they are putting their life on the line. And I like to see, I love to see, excuse me, them be able to be taken care of when the sport doesn't take care for them already. As it has done or as it has not done for countless boxers over the past century plus. Always the fighter putting their life on the line never gets the adequate security financially necessary. And now you get to see with Tyson Fury fighting Francis Ngannou and Ngannou finally getting what he deserves as one of the mega stars of the UFC and of the entire mixed martial arts community as the best heavyweight in the world. Well, well, excuse me, second best heavyweight in the world outside of John Jones. But he is, as a star, as big as they come. Now look at what he did with the PLF, getting not just his own bag, but also getting financial and insurance security for fighters who signed with the PLF, and which is going to make more fighters want to stand up and say, yeah, I want this, and they're going to only go to places and fight in places that actively take care of them. Love it. Absolutely. We need that. We love that. We want that. We want every boxer, every fighter, every UFC combatant, anybody across the combat sports world, once they retire or step away from the ring, they are able to be secured for the rest of their life. Love that. From that standpoint, from the fighter's standpoint, I love it. But from a fan standpoint, I hate it. And I hate it, especially in this situation with Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou because of the fact that Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou is a fight I would love to see. Absolutely. After Fury fights Osik. After Fury is taking care of his business. After we've seen everything that we need to see from a boxer. And then now you go around these routes of having these cross-promotional mega fights with other major fighters, other major players. That's when we want to see it. That's when we, me, as a boxing fan, that's when I want to see it. Why am I not harping on Francis Ngannou and him taking this fight with the UFC? Because he went through the UFC. These are two completely completely different situations with the UFC and boxing in this context. Because Francis Ngannou went through and won the heavyweight division, went through and became, before John Jones got there, and while John Jones was still out of the UFC, the best heavyweight in the world had defended his title, had bolstered the UFC status, and took care of everything that he needed, to, he needed to take care of, lived up to his contract, and did everything he was supposed to do. Then when he left, now that he completely finished the chapter that was necessary, took care of all the business on the side of the street, then he went and did this, this fight. That's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. And he's still got obligation to do the other stuff, the other fights in the PLF. No problem whatsoever. Not a problem at all. But he took care of his business before taking this fight. Kept saying he wanted to box, wanted to do all this stuff. Absolutely. Took care of business first, then went about taking the fight. Then went about actively pursuing the boxing match. Now going, getting Mike Tyson in his training camp to actively get him ready for Tyson Fury, which again, Tyson Fury's going to whoop him. We know this. We understand this. this Tyson Fury's going to outbox him because stamina in the UFC and stamina in boxing are two completely different things. 
And with Mike Tyson training him as a puncher, it's not going to be enough to technically adapt to the great footwork and the great boxing ability of somebody that is bigger than Francis Ngannou, which he's not used to, and somebody that is heavier than Francis Ngannou that he is not used to, and somebody that can combat with the strength of Francis Ngannou just by his sheer size in Tyson Fury that Francis Ngannou is not used to. As well as being a, again, league's better boxer than Francis Ngannou has ever been. Even with Mike Tyson training. So we know how this is going to go. Tyson Fury is going to win. Most likely, if he doesn't choose to ride it out for the 12 rounds, he's going to win by knockout. Unless Ngannou catches him with, with a clean, big shot. Because he's got the ability to knock him out, absolutely. The legitimate power transfers irregardless of sport if you're Francis Ngannou. That is absolutely. But that's if he catches him, which I don't think he will. And if Tyson Fury was able to, to get up against Deontay Wilder for, in, for three fights, take that the best right hand that boxing has ever seen. The best right hand in potentially in combat sports history. And take that for three straight fights to the head and get up. And not only do that, but win twice. Fight to a draw once when I think he should have won three times in a row. Never get knocked out by the best right hand in boxing history. By one of the most dominant knockout artists of this generation. It's highly unlikely that we'll see Francis Ngannou knock him out. But it's entirely plausible. It's just not likely in the slightest. Incredibly slim chance, even with the power that Francis Ngannou has. Incredibly slim. But irregardless of that, Francis took care of his stuff on his side of the street before taking delving into this realm. Tyson Fury still has stuff to do within his own career before he can actively have the leisure to be able to take this and it be fine with all fans. We know what we want, and it's the undisputed title. Fury knows we want it. Fury's been saying that he wants it himself. Yet he won't do it. And we'll take this fight and we'll mess around instead of actively doing what we as the public want him to do and for his own legacy, what he should do, which is take on Usyk, fight against the unified heavyweight champion, with your one belt, get all four if you do indeed win, and then go about doing all this stuff. Then go about taking ex expedition fights. Then go about fighting cross-emotionally. Absolutely. But there's no need for this fight to happen because one side of the street, Tyson Fury's side, still got work to do. Still got work to do. That's why we hate it. Because you're holding up what we want to see for the story of boxing. We want to see an undisputed champion win, reign, and rule the heavyweight division. We want to see that. We need to see that. We want to see who's the baddest man on the planet. Not in terms of UFC versus boxing. Tyson Bury versus Francis Ngannou. We don't want to see that. It's exciting because of the names, sure. And ooh, it's a spectacle, absolutely. And like I said, I'm happy for, for 
both involved because I like to see fighters, love to see fighters get taken care of financially, and this will absolutely do it. But I also understand the bigger picture of the sport, and it is horrible that this is what happens when the, again, ethos of boxing is right on the cusp of what's happening with the undisputed heavyweight title on the line. It doesn't get bigger. It rarely gets bigger. The only thing that rivaled that fight was Spence versus Crawford. And that's because those were two of the best of a generation that we've been clamoring for for five years. We haven't had an undisputed champion in 20-plus years. And now we're, we're on the cusp of that happening and defining who indeed is the baddest man on the planet, which is, a, which is relegated only to the heavyweight division. The baddest man on the planet has always been the undisputed heavyweight champion. Always. It's always been the case. And we're on the cusp of that, and you choose to go about fighting a UFC fighter? Not even in his own element? When we know, as we've consistently seen, that UFC fighters in the boxing realm against people that train are completely outclassed? Completely outclassed? Even against average train, completely outclassed. Most of the time, they are not of the caliber of boxing because the striking that they do is not boxing-oriented. Even if they train boxing in their own training camp. It's adapted to the rules, gear, and all-out offensive makeup that the UFC and MMA brings to the table. With the UFC and MMA, every punch, every attack leads into something else. Everything has the potential for something entirely different. A kick can lead to a jab. A jab can lead to a backhand. A backhand can lead to an uppercut. Anything and everything can lead into everything. A straight can lead to a takedown. A jab can lead to defending a takedown. A high kick can lead into a sprawl. Anything can happen off of any strike when it comes to the UFC. And so they've adapted that to fit that. So they're malleable. They're fluid. Everything's supposed to lead to everything, which is phenomenal. It's why they're so multi-talented. And that's why UFC fighters would kill most any boxer that stepped into the ring. And we've seen people like Clarissa Shields have success. But of the majority, it would be, yeah, I'm giving the edge to the UFC fighter just about every single time. Trained UFC fighter about every single time. But if the UFC fighter gets into the boxing landscape, it doesn't translate well. It doesn't translate well. Boxers punches are too sharp, too fast, too crisp, too defined, and too refined for the UFC fighter to actively be able to compete as necessary, even with as good as they are. Again, the only person that did it competently was Anderson Silva. And one of the biggest reasons why he lost was because of the fact that he was about 50 years old. If he had gotten to the sport earlier, or even as early, if he had gotten to the sport as late as somebody like Deontay Wilder had gotten to the sport with, oh, it would have been leagues better. Leagues better. Leagues better. 
leagues better. You do. I would have loved to have seen Anderson Silva fight at the age that Deontay Wilder fought when he first got into boxing. Would love to see that. It would have been insane to see him in a boxing ring. Already with the instincts and the ability to avoid kicks and punches in the UFC ring. Now you mitigate that to just hands only with his instincts and his fluidity of punching? Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. As a middleweight, that would have been incredible. That would have been incredible. I would have loved to see that. He would have, he, I stand by if he had trained boxing all of his life, he would have been a champion. That's how good he is. That's how, that's how good he, at his best, that's how good he was. And even later, way later in his career, way later in life, he was still showing, oh shoot, he could actually be, actually be something of a boxer if he had taken out time earlier in his career to do so. Would have been insane. But those are minute uh, anomalies. Outside of that, doesn't translate well. There's no, it's not really a competition. This is a disrespect. It's because they're two completely different sports. That's what. Different sports with different rules, different training, different skill sets, different mentalities that shape how you go about attacking the sport. And because that's the case, UFC, when it comes to translating to boxing, doesn't translate well. So it's going to be an easy win for Tyson Fury. It's going to be a great bag for Francis Ngannou. And I'm happy for them. Absolutely. But I don't want to see this. Not at all. I want to see an undisputed title. We have been waiting too long for an undisputed championship. There's no reason why this fight, no reason why this fight took precedent over a fight that would have sold out Wembley Stadium or any stadium around the world in a matter of hours. Hours. Would have been one of the biggest fights of the year. One of the most important fights in heavyweight history of the past 20-something years. One of the biggest notches in telling the story of boxing would have happened if these two would fight. And it's not Usyk's fault. We know it's not Usyk's fault. We know it's Tyson Fury's fault. We know it's Tyson Fury's fault. This isn't me playing favorites. This isn't me putting put, putting unnecessary blame. You know, this is just calling it as it is. We ain't got no reason to be biased on here. We just want to say what we see. I may choose who, win, or who wins or who loses, but that's irregardless of the fact. That's a prediction. That's who I think is going to win. Favoritism. Everybody has a favorite fighter, even still. Who I want to see versus who I think will win are two completely different things. You can, you can support and still criticize. You can support and still unbiasedly predict. It's entirely possible. People just don't do it. And you can love to watch somebody fight and be a fan of them and still critique, critique when they do something wrong like we need to do with Tyson Fury. This fight should not be happening. This fight is the wrong fight to make happen. And again, Tyson Fury, it looks like you are ducking a lot of the smoke that is coming your way when it's time to put up or shut up at this big of a barometer. And we know you love the spotlight. Everything points to there's no good reason why you didn't take, you didn't 
make this fight happen and in in step with Usyk making making this fight happen with him capitulating to everything that you demanded and you still going out of your way to make it even more strenuous on his pockets when he already took a major pay cut just to make this fight happen for you because you said he wouldn't do it it's it's you are the problem Tyson Fury you are the problem you are a big six foot nine 270 pound problem in this boxing world you are the reason why people whenever even with as great of a year one of the best boxing years we've experienced in a long time potentially one of the best boxing years ever 2023 one of the best years for this sport period has taken place and you single-handedly are still holding it back somehow some way And it's all because of your inactivity, or out of reluctancy, excuse me, inactivity is the wrong word. Your reluctancy to actively fight the biggest fight, probably of your career. In the biggest fight of your career, fighting Usyk for the undisputed title. A moment that you live for, a moment that you say you thrive in, a moment that you say you absolutely want. You keep saying that you are the king. You are the gypsy king. Constantly saying that you are the man. There's nobody born can beat you. That's what you've said. Yet you back out in such an ignorant way by doing a bunch of, again, outpricing yourself. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. And then making this fight happen just like that? Nah, that's, that's ignorant. It's insanity in the worst way. It's horrible. It's not challenging yourself. It's not pushing yourself. And if you keep doing stuff like this, the very legacy that you built up for yourself is going to be looked at in a very different light. Very different light. I can guarantee you that. And I hate it. Hate it for you. Hate it for us as sports fans. Hate it for me as a boxing fan and us as boxing fans. And as a whole, for the whole sport of boxing, it's a travesty that just shouldn't be happening. It should be better. But you are the reason why it's not. And shame on you for doing so. Make it right, win the fight, and then make the next fight happen. Make Usyk Fury happen. Make it happen. Because if you don't, after this fight, after you've gotten the bag, after you've made the mecha fight, if you still don't make the fight happen for the undisputed title, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say except you duck. And the very legacy that you want to leave behind as one of the greatest ever is going to be severely in question because of who you chose not to fight. Again, chose not to fight. It's a pity and a shame. For you and us, we don't want to look at it that way. We don't want to have that bad taste in our mouths. We want legacy, and you can make that legacy happen. When you don't, you hurt, you hurt only yourself. Oh, you're only hurting yourself. Only hurting yourself. So with that being said, this has been another episode 
of the Watch You Part with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. You have been phenomenal. Again, we're trying to get to 500 subscribers, so please share the video, share the channel, share the show with everybody that you know. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, any podcast imaginable. We are there for you to listen to and right here on YouTube to watch. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Until next time, we still got a whole bunch of stuff to cover in the world of sports. We're going to cover it right here on this show. That's right. So, without further ado, I've been Jean-Luc Y'all have been beautiful. Peace and love. We are out of here.